0: Welcome to the Hillside Community Church podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Uh, In September of 1985, a group of lifeguards in New Orleans were hosting a party at one of the city pools in order to celebrate the first summer in memory where they had no drownings at any of the pools, okay? They made an entire season. So they're patting themselves on the back. They're having a, having a celebration. Well, there's 200 people at this party, okay? Half of them are lifeguards. So you have 100 lifeguards at this pool party and they're having a good time and as the night is coming to a close, uh, the four lifeguards who are on duty start to clear the pool and they find a fully dressed body in the deep end. The guy's name was Jerome Moody. He was 31 years old, and they tried to revive him, but it was already too late. And I thought, how tragic, how ironic, that this man drowned, surrounded by fully-trained lifeguards who were there to celebrate their success. I, I tell that story because I, I, you know, I wonder how often we celebrate really good things happening inside these walls, things that should be celebrated, but still somehow manage to miss the outsider. We could could ask it like this, how many strangers are drowning around us in loneliness, anxiety, and doubt, and we completely miss them? We throw parties for lifeguards And forget there's people around us who still can't swim. So that's what we're exploring today. What is our responsibility? How can we effectively reach unbelievers outside these walls? What's our responsibility? What opportunities do we have? As we open up the text this morning, I want you to keep this question in mind Am I only ministering to other lifeguards? Am I only ministering to other lifeguards? So go ahead and open up your Bibles and your Bible apps to Genesis 26, 1 through 17. This is the part of the story where the promise and the blessing that God gave Abraham passed on to his son, Isaac. And we'll see three moves here today. We'll see the blessing extended, we'll see the blessing mocked, and hopefully we'll see the blessing personified. So the blessing extended, the blessing mocked, and the blessing personified. Go ahead and turn to me to Genesis 26, 1 through 17. And I want you to think about who this story is written to, okay? Um, it's a history book for the nation of Israel. So just like how we get to learn Texas history growing up for the nation of Texas, right? Sorry if you didn't grow up here. If, if, if you missed that class, the Cliff Notes version is that we're kind of a big deal. Okay. Um, Do I need this? All right. All right. Am I there? All right. I'm going to try it this way. So we grow up with these cries of remember the Alamo. Remember who we are and what got us to this point. Well, Genesis is a history book for Israel that says remember who we are because of who God is, because he's chosen us and chosen to bless us. So these people are the insiders. These people are the lifeguards in the story, okay? Do we need to go ahead and... All right. All right, I'm going to keep going while he plays behind me. Um. Thank you. You got me now? All right. Okay. This is the point where Abraham has died. Okay? This is the point where Abraham has died. This is the patriarch of the family, the one God specifically called and and made a covenant with. Okay? And with Abraham dead, the, the Israelites reading this history, they would naturally be wondering, okay, but the promise, is the promise still intact? What about the promise? And the story actually reassures us on a literary level. I love how it brings in these similarities between Isaac's story and Abraham's story. It gives us a strong link between this father and son. And it's because the text is doing something with that connection. As we'll see, sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's not so good when the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So let's jump into the story. We read in in verse 1, now there was a famine in the land. Am I still going? Just use this. All right. Here we go. All right. Can you hear me now? Okay. There was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. Now we see the first connection here, okay? We see this first connection. There's a famine, just like there was back in in Abraham's story, and it causes him to go down to Gerar, where where Abraham ended up in chapter 20. And so we see this connection between father and son, okay? This is great news so far because he's walking in his daddy's footsteps. This is what we want to see. Now, God actually appears to Abraham in verse 2. He tells him uh, to stay there in Gerar, to not go down to Egypt. And when God shows up there, he promises his presence is going to be with him. He tells him in verse 3, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. This is this is big news. This is great to hear. If you are a Jewish kid sitting in history class, what did you just hear? The promise is still intact, okay? The blessing is still there and God is promising his presence is going to be with Isaac. And finally, finally he makes it official and we see the extension of the blessing. We see the extension of the blessing God gave to Abraham. Look at verse 4. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. I will give your descendants all these lands, and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. It's like opening the acceptance letter from the school. Oh, man, I got it. Here it is. The blessing is intact. It's been passed on officially to Isaac, and through him, All the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That last line is critical. That last line is so important. We're going to unpack what that means. Because remember, today that's what we're talking about. What is our responsibility as God's people? What's our responsibility to the outsiders? So we're going to unpack what that last line means. But first, I want you to see the reason. I want you to see the reason that God says he's passing this blessing specifically on to Isaac. He said, He said, By your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Verse 5 Because Abraham obeyed. Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Because Abraham obeyed. Now, this can get uncomfortable here. This can get uncomfortable. Because we're used to throwing around this word unconditional when we talk about the nature of the covenant that God made with Abraham. But I think we got to be careful on how we think about this. We need to be careful in how we think about this because we think back to where God specifically made this covenant with Abraham. And we know from that story that God's promise relies totally on him and his faithfulness, not on Abraham's. Right? God goes through all this trouble to, to confirm that to him in chapter 15. He goes through all this trouble. He has Abraham uh, go and get these animals. There's a cow and a goat and a ram and a pigeon and a turtle dove. And he goes and he has to cut these in half. Okay? so it's already pretty gross. It's getting nasty already, getting weird. Cuts them in half. And the idea in this ancient ritual is that both parties walk through in order to make a covenant, this, this contract of sorts. Okay, um, You can think of it as a, a super weird ancient handshake. right? If, if we start doing this, the housing market might cool back down a little bit if you have to do this every time you have to buy a house. It's a super weird ancient handshake. But God puts Abraham to sleep, and if you know the story, instead of both of them walking through together, God passes through as a torch, passes through as fire by himself. Just to show that he was the one who would see to its fulfillment. Okay, so we see here the promise, the promise of God relies totally on God and his faithfulness. But verse 5 here tells us that the, it was because of Abraham's obedience that the blessing gets passed on specifically to Isaac. This is such an important point for us and how we relate to God, how we relate to, to other people. Because God is faithful in his promises even when we're not, but we also have a responsibility to extend that blessing to others through our own obedience. We're to be conduits of his grace to others. So this idea of being a conduit brings us back to that last line in verse 4. By your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed God's people are blessed, at least in part, so they can be a conduit of his blessing to others. Well, how well do we do this? How well do we do this? It's like the lifeguard party. Am I one of the insiders who completely misses the body bobbing over in the deep end? What am I doing with the grace God has given me right now? Who is drowning around you that God has uniquely equipped you to reach out and help any one of those lifeguards at that party could have reached out and saved that man. They were so preoccupied with their own success and having a, having a good time at this party and let down their guard. And this is such an important point that not everybody agrees on. Not everybody agrees on this. Occasionally, you'll get a commentator who, who argues that this is not what the verse is telling us. Okay, I'll give you an example. If you're reading the NET, if you're reading the net version it treats this a little bit different okay there's a little bit different way that it translates this instead of by your descendants all the nations of the earth will be blessed it says all the nations of the earth will pronounce blessing on one another using the name of your descendants okay that would actually be a pretty big change here instead of the whole point being how God uses his people to bless the nations Israel would just be a model Just a model that they look up to when they bless each other. And the change comes down to just a debate on how you take the Hebrew verb. This is essentially all it comes down to. If I say, Johnny threw the ball, it's it's active, Johnny threw it. If I say, Johnny was thrown the ball, it's it's passive, He's, he's receiving the action. If I say, Johnny threw the ball to himself, that's reflexive. It's an action he's doing to himself. That's essentially all this comes down to. When, when it reads at the top, by your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. It's passive on the part of the nations. They're receiving the blessing through Israel. It's that conduit idea. When, it, when the net translates it, that they're going to bless each other using the name of Israel, that's reflexive. Instead of Israel blessing them, the nations are doing the blessing. Okay, It would essentially be like saying this. If I were to say, hey, may your bank account look like Jeffrey Bezos versus Jeffrey Bezos actually wiring money to your bank account. There's a big difference there, right? There's a big difference. On the one hand, Jeffrey Bezos is just a model for financial gain. On the other hand, he's giving me some lunch money. I'm telling my girls you can supersize that Happy Meal today. Right? It's a big difference. It's a big difference. So it's an important distinction. Are Abraham and Isaac's descendants the source, the conduit, the the channel of God's blessing? Like Bezos giving you what's between his couch cushions? Or are they simply a model? A model example of what it would look like to be blessed. This is where this kind of thing plays out. It's sort of like how we view evangelism. Do you see evangelism, do you, do you see us as having a responsibility to, to be active in sharing our testimonies? And, and what God has done in my life, how he's transformed me, and passing that on to other people? Or do you really like the quote, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words, as an excuse to never say anything, right? It's a big distinction. Are we supposed to be a model for Christ-likeness? Or are we supposed to pass this on? Do we have a responsibility as God's people to pass this on? Here's the context, okay? You could get lost in this grammar debate. It's miserable. It's a miserable debate, okay? And sometimes, this is a perfect example about how people get lost in the weeds and they miss the full picture, they miss the context and the big picture of what's going on. Turn with me back to chapter 12. I want you to see this. In chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, I want you to see that there's a buildup here. There's a buildup, and this is where God initially gives the promise to Abraham. Okay? And there's a buildup and a crescendo that's happening that starts with Abraham and moves outward. Look at this. It says, Abraham will be blessed. He will be a blessing. You got a conduit idea there. God will bless those who bless him, and by your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Even if you take that reflexive idea, even if you take the grammar that way, it, it, it's a moot point in the last line because there's a buildup and a crescendo of blessing that starts with Abraham and moves out to the people of the world. It moves out. God's not just blessing Abraham for Abraham's sake. When God blesses you and God blesses me, he's not just doing it for our sake. When you receive salvation, that's not the end. God's people are meant to be conduits of his grace. I love how Oswald Chambers puts this. He he uses this imagery of the Dead Sea to explain our responsibility to the world. And he says that we're, we're supposed to be like fountains from which rivers of living water can flow, but too many of us are like the Dead Sea. Everything flows in, nothing flows out. Jesus, he says the same thing in, in John 7, that rivers of living water should flow out of us. He's picturing the Holy Spirit flowing from out of us and the direction is out so that it not only quenches our thirst, but it quenches the thirst of others as well. We're meant to be conduits of his grace. So in our story here, Isaac, he's obeyed God's word, he stayed in Gerar, and we saw the blessing officially extended because of God's faithfulness and Abraham's obedience. But now we're going to see Isaac make a mockery of it. So as he lives in Gerar, the men start talking and asking about his wife, Rebecca. She's apparently very beautiful. And what does Isaac do? Well, Remember, for better or for worse, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. He does the exact same thing that his dad did back in chapter 20, and he he deceives the people, tells them that Rebecca is his sister. Verse 7 tells us he did this because he was afraid he was afraid that they would kill him and take his wife. Here's the crazy thing. God appeared to this guy in verse 2. God appeared to him and promised his presence to go with him. A lot of times we think, if, if I just, oh, if, if God would appear, if he would appear to me, I wouldn't have any trust issues. Right? If you just tell me what I need to do, where I need to go. Just give me a sign. Just make it obvious. Well, God appeared to Isaac in verse two, and for whatever reason, for whatever reason, now he thinks he has to take the promise into his own hands. And his unfaithfulness here stems from his lack of trust. It says in verse eight after Isaac had been there for a while, the king, Abimelech, he looks through a window. And he sees Isaac caressing his wife Rebecca. Now, I don't mean to get PG 13, but caressing is actually kind of a tame word. I mean, this word can mean to fondle or my my personal favorite, to dally with. Abimelech looks through the window and sees Isaac dallying with Rebecca. Okay? I I almost, I I picture it like a sitcom. It just plays like a sitcom in my head. Like you got the king looking through the window and he's like, oh, hey, there's Isaac and Rebecca. Hey, guys. Wait, isn't that, isn't that it? Right? And he calls him on it. He calls him on it. He says in verse 10, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. See, this isn't Abimelech's first rodeo. This is the exact same king, the exact same country, the exact same deception his father pulled over this guy. And in that story, he takes takes Sarah, Abraham's wife, takes her her into his harem. Hasn't touched her yet, but God comes to him in a dream and freaks him out and says, You're a dead man. You are dead. And he closes up all the wombs in his house until Abimelech gives her back. So he knows how dangerous this is and he said the same thing to Abraham in that encounter. What have you done to us? And don't miss this. The very people who were meant to be a blessing to the nations in this instance became a curse to them. The very people Who were meant to be a blessing to the nations became a bad taste in their mouth. How many people hear the word Christian and then something else comes to their mind besides Jesus? Maybe it's a political party, maybe it's the moral majority. How many people have a bad taste in their mouth from that word? How many of us are known for what we're against rather than what we're for? We have a better story, but are we telling it? So often the people who are supposed to be a blessing to the world just become a bad taste in society's mouth. And this idea that Isaac is making a mockery of the blessing comes from some wordplay. In Hebrew. When Abimelech sees Isaac caressing Rebekah or dallying with Rebekah through the window, the word for caressing is actually a wordplay on Isaac's name. If you were reading it or listening to it in Hebrew, it sounds, it sounds almost the same. It's like Jerry jerry rigged it. Like you, you get a little bit different sense, right? So here's, here, here's the stem the stem for both means to joke, to be cheerful. Isaac got his name because his parents laughed when they found out that that uh, Sarah was gonna be pregnant in her old age. So his name essentially means laughter. Uh, At one point in the story, Ishmael is mocking Isaac, and the word for mocking comes from the same stem, to joke or be cheerful, in this instance, meaning mocking. And Ishmael mocks Isaac. Well, here it's emphasizing that, that, that Isaac's deception and his lack of trust made a mockery of both Abimelech and the promise of God. He didn't fully trust God to follow through with the promise. And instead of being a blessing to Abimelech, he made a mockery of him. And notice, somehow, God still blesses this guy after all this. Look at verses uh, 12 and 13 in uh, chapter 26. Now Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. God is still clearly blessing him here because his faithfulness relies on him, not on us. But look what, look what Abimelech says to him in verse 16. Go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. You're too powerful for us. Is that our goal? Is that our goal to just become so powerful and such hoarders of God's grace that we've got everything that we need and nobody else has it? He says, you are too powerful for us. God's promises here rely solely on him and his faithfulness. But in the same way that the blessing was extended to Isaac because of Abraham's obedience, our obedience and our trust play an important role in how God uses us to extend that blessing to others. Look, how often are we hoarding God's grace, becoming collectors of it, hoarding God's grace when we spend all of our time within the walls of the church or life groups or homes or their families and neglecting to be a light in the world. If what we're learning here doesn't compel us to go out there, what are we doing? What are we doing? Like Isaac, much of it comes down to trust. We have limited time. We think it's not all going to get done. We're building the church. We're being equipped. We forget that it's God who builds his church. It's God who equips. We think that we need to make sure our kids are in every activity known to man so they can have the best shot in life. How much of that is really up to us? We think, you know, I can't help that stranger. There's, there's a new strain out. We think, I can't share my testimony with others. I, I, I don't have that great of a story. I don't have that much biblical knowledge. We think, I can't talk to him about work. I could get fired. It could hurt sales. I could just be that guy, you know. I don't have enough money, enough resources, enough wit, enough strength, enough personality. We too often think that it relies on us, and so we don't trust. Well, what is it in your life that's keeping you? What is it in your life that's keeping you from extending that love and grace and blessing of God to others? In this story, we've seen the blessing extended, and we've seen the blessing mocked, but what does it look like for the blessing to be personified? What does that look like? Just like Isaac received the blessing because of the obedience of one man, Abraham, we have received God's blessing because of the obedience of one man, Jesus Christ. He is the model, the icon, the perfect example of obedience. He is, he is the blessing personified. And it's because his obedience passed the blessings of God onto us that we have a responsibility to pass that blessing on to others through our own obedience. So how? How can we be conduits of God's grace to the world? That image of the Dead Sea is just so powerful because when we spend all of our time getting poured into in church and life groups and our families, getting poured into is good. But when we only pour back into those same systems, we become stagnant like the Dead Sea, always being fed, never flowing out. This is why our life groups have missions as, as a core value. I want to I challenge us today to find somewhere to serve outside these walls, outside the walls of your life group, outside the walls of your home and your family. We always ask our life groups, what would the community miss if your group ceased to exist? What void would the community have if your group ceased to exist? So we encouraged all our life groups this past semester to, to find one missional opportunity, we said if you're if you're having trouble, get started. Just find one one missional opportunity, and some of you have been crushing this. Uh, I, but I also know the schedules don't always line up, right? Uh, I know it can be hard to figure out what to do or what need to fill. Uh, my group, you know, we went out and did uh, we did this yard for this lady. Uh, the HOA was on her; she had the dead bushes from the freeze, you know. So we got to go out, a few of us, and 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 help her out. And she didn't have any money, didn't have any time. It was a great opportunity. Um, I, we've had so many stories this past semester of uh, groups running with this. Um, adopting first responders, feeding them barbecue, uh, writing encouraging notes, feeding the homeless downtown under the bridge, donating food and clothing to community storehouse and pregnancy help for you. We actually had a really cool thing happen this week. Um, somebody from Samaritan's Purse called up uh, to Hillside, uh, looking for somebody who's actually back in the tech booth right now. One of our volunteers, looking for this person, and uh, and thinking that they were on staff and trying to see how can we how can we partner with Hillside, continuing on a continuing basis. Right? I was like, I don't even know. I don't even know this is happening. I love this, the fact that our groups have so many, so many opportunities going on on your own that I, didn't, I got to tell this lady, hey, our groups just do stuff. Like, I, I, don't even, I don't even know what all is going on here. That is incredible because you are being the church. You are being the church out in the community. It is, it is incredible to see. But I know that for me, whether it's serving with a group or just being out with somebody, I know my biggest obstacle is time because ultimately my biggest obstacle is trust. I don't think of myself as having trust issues, but I bet Isaac didn't either. I bet, I, I bet he just thought he was being shrewd in a dangerous land. I bet he thought he was being smart, that he's being practical, that he's protecting his family. Hey, it just makes sense, right? It ultimately came down to trust. Ask yourself, is the reason that I'm not extending this blessing and being a light in the, in the community. Is it because I'm like Isaac, I don't trust God to provide unless I take my time into my own hands? Sometimes you got to be creative, right? I get it. i got two young kids. We have to be creative if we want to do anything. Some of you moms in here have to be creative when you want to go to the bathroom. Mom? 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 My wife hates it when my, my kids will walk past their fully functioning adult father to my wife in the bathroom and knock on the door just to open a, a pin or something, right? They walk past their fully functioning dad just to get to the mom. I know you sometimes you got to be creative with your time, or maybe some of your lack of time stems from your kids' schedules. They're involved in every sport, every band meet, every club, because they got to get into the best college, have the shot at the, the pros or whatever the case may be. Do you think that part of that, at least, might be a lack of trust? That they're either maybe going to fail or just not be successful enough if you don't get them into every single activity? Sometimes sometimes we, feel like, sometimes we feel guilty as parents if we don't use up all our resources on our kids. Sometimes it just feels irresponsible. <laughs> I get that feeling. You want your kid to have every opportunity succeed in life. But if that's the case, why not bring them along? Teach them the value of serving. Teach them the value of extending God's grace to other people. So some of it may be time. Some of it may be priorities. Uh, Some of it is really just that we don't know where to get started. We don't know what need to fill. Well, we wanted to take some of that guesswork out for you. So we're going to roll out something new on the Serve Dashboard today. Um, You've... You've seen it, it's been incredible for going on and and finding opportunities to serve here at church. Um, We wanted to make it just as easy to find opportunities to serve in our community. So if you've spent any time on this dashboard, you know there's filters on here. You can filter it by different things. We got two new filters for you. There's life group missions for groups to do together and there's outreach for individuals to be able to go and, and find a way to serve in the community. So if you're the missions coordinator for your group, this is a great place to go sign up, sign up your group to to do a project. If if you're just in here and you just wanna find something to do in the community, it's a great tool for that. So we're gonna be rolling out more and more opportunities in the coming weeks for the fall, but here's what we have for you today. I'm really excited about this. Every year we do this back to school blessing, okay, for these single moms. Uh, They get to come in and get some backpacks and school supplies. this year, we're going to add something on top of that. We're going to adopt a teacher. We're going to do an adopt-a-teacher thing. We've partnered with Friendship Elementary right down the street. It's a Title I school. We're going to adopt all 48 of their teachers. We're going to. Here's what this opportunity looks like. If you go on the dashboard, if you want to sign up for this, it's going to be you give them a $50 gift card along with a note of encouragement to say, hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, I know it's been a tough year. Hey, Jesus loves you, and I just, I just wanted you to know it. I just wanted you to know it. How many, to use the lifeguard analogy, how many teachers have been drowning this year in anxiety? I live with one of them. Drowning this year in anxiety. Trying to learn an entirely new way of teaching online and in person. This is just one way that we can apply this. Just one way that we can get out and and, and multiply our efforts here in the community and touch people and extend that blessing. To offer that cool drink. He'll say, let's not just minister to other lifeguards. Let's get out there. Let's be that cool drink of water. What would have changed for Jerome Moody had one person reached out and saw him there? So in Abraham's story, you know, we saw the blessing extended through God's faithfulness and Abraham's obedience. We saw that blessing mocked because of a lack of trust. This is just one way that we can see this blessing personified. Because remember, it is because of Jesus, because he came and passed those blessings on to us, that we even have the opportunity to pass these on to someone else. Let's be conduits of his grace to the community. Can we do this? All right. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for coming and for showing us what perfect obedience looks like. For exemplifying it. For passing that on to us. God, I ask that that we would be responsive. That we wouldn't just sit on so so great of a salvation, but that we we would look for opportunities to be led by your spirit find ways to serve. Lord, I ask that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would um, make divine appointments so that we can pass these blessings on to others, Lord, and see people come to know you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.